since there are a few new faces or just maybe might be unfamiliar, if you are 17 or younger, on the back page there is a notes page. If you fill out the notes from the sermon, you, will, you can get a special treat from the girl over here, right down there. She has a basket. She'll be in the back at the end of the, of the service, just so you know. I, I normally don't remind you guys, but we have quite a few new ones, so, so you might want to. There's an incentive to, to listen. You know what I'm thankful? I saw all these kids up here. I'm thankful that they're not my kids. <laughs> no, I'm just... I am thankful for your kids. The kids are the life of the church. Um, there have been so many churches that it breaks my heart when I see that there's not even one kid in the church. The Lord has a ministry for these younger ones. So I do pray for you. I, I pray for you guys that are, are not teaching at one of our schools, at, one, at the public school. That ministry is even that much more of a challenge. So we pray for, for all of you. Let's pray now. Father, praise and honor and glory be to you. May the Spirit of the Lord totally anoint all of us as ministers of the gospel, but we want to lift up the full-time teachers and ask that you use them in a mighty way. We ask this in a powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. May the Spirit be here, Father. May you be lifted up. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So some of you know that I didn't take the Adventist route my parents were, were somewhat nominally Adventists. I went to public elementary, uh, junior high, high school, university for three years. I went to a school called Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. I had free tuition there. So some people still wonder, why did I leave? After my junior year of college, actually it was the, the tail of, end of my junior year of, of, of university, I had failed two courses that year, my animal physiology class and my second semester of physics, and I knew that something needed to change. And I told some of my closest fraternity brothers, because I was living, living in the fraternity house, I said, this culture is done for me. I wasn't planning on becoming a Christian, I just said, I need to get out. And my, one of my best friends there said, I can live better. Come on, I can live better. We can do it so that you study more. And I said, no, I just need out. I need to get away from here. This was probably the single most important decision I made. Maybe in my life. 
because it led me to people that knew Jesus Christ. And maybe one of these days I will share how that all unfolded. But sometimes for things to change in your life, you need a whole other culture shift. And for me, I needed it. This part of the story of Moses is this. God could have obviously sort of smacked Egypt and said, hey, we're done with this. Just start treating my people better. But that wasn't what it was going to take. He needed to take Israel out. They could no longer be part of Egypt. I want you to turn in, in your scriptures, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read through this. Well, I'm not a very fast reader, but I'm going to try to read through it fairly quick because we're going to go through a few verses here. Starting with verse 1, it says this in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of, the, of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old male without defect, and you must take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them for four, uh, until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put them on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some left it till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, uh, I mean, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, to many of you, you have read this text before. Maybe not just once, but many times. But many of us have not realized who this Passover was for. Did it say this is Israel's Passover? No. This Passover was whose Passover? The Lord's. This is very important. That this Passover was not so much for Israel as it was for the Lord. Let's go further. Uh, not in the text, but the word Passover. Does anybody know what the word Passover is in Hebrew? Pesach. Can you say Pesach? Like pay, like you're going to pay something, and then you wear socks. Uh, it's just not plural. 
Pesach. Say it one more time, Pesach. Now, Pesach, which is translated Passover, has given us a mental image of God going through the nation, and he actually sort of jumps over the house where there is blood. He passes over it. Now, there are three interpretations that seem to be viable in the Hebrew language of Passover. It comes from the word Pasach, and the first one is to protect. So in your notes, I think that was one of them. To protect is one of the primitive meanings of Pesach. Now that very much fits in here, right? He's protecting the people. But from judgment, which isn't necessarily, that's sort of not necessarily what's, what's being intended here. The second one, the one that we know most, means to limp or to favor, because you favor one side or the other, right? Or to pass over, to limp over. Actually, this is the, the word, do you know that the word Passover is used, do you remember the story of Elijah where they meet at Mount Carmel and he calls out the people and he says, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? How long are you going to favor this religion and then favor this religion and then go back to this religion and then go back to this religion? There is a reason he uses Pesach. He is trying to bring them back to the remembrance of Passover. But the third interpretation I actually like the most. The third interpretation of Pesach is compassion. So if you fit compassion in here where it says, this is the Lord's Passover. By the way, when it says this is the Lord's Passover, this is before he says anything about the actual passing over. That comes later. He says, oh, he's going to go through Egypt and he will pass over houses. It says the Lord's compassion. It's believed that the Hebrews, because remember, he didn't talk about the Passover, the, the action that was going to happen. The Hebrews knew what he was talking about. That there was already a thought of the Lord's compassion. And the Lord needed this more than the Israelites because he didn't want to lose his children. He cared so deeply for his children. His love was so deep for them that if he did not do this, his heart would be eternally broken. So he says, we are going to do something so I can bring my people out. Now, why I also believe that this action needed to happen, the blood, the sacrifice, the Passover, is because everybody in Egypt was guilty. Everyone. You know, there was a, there's a Hebrew saying from a rabbi who says, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, you know, you, you feel bad for the Israelites, but the Israelites at that time really didn't care too much for, didn't care that much about oppression. They weren't right, really about righting injustice. They just wished that they were on the other side of the whip. Does that make sense? 
And this rabbi continues to say that a lot of times we are the same as humans. That we, if we were on the other side of the whip, we would not cry out injustice as much. And we do this. When I, when, when I cut off somebody accidentally, because it's always been accidental, I cut somebody off, I ask for compassion. Please forgive me. I might wave a hand. Sorry. You know, you give that face. You know, oh, Sorry. And I know that they should understand that that was an accident. But when somebody does it to me, I know it was an intentional. These guys were being malicious. Sometimes we only think according to our perspective, and maybe the Israelites, if the shoe was on the other foot, would be willing to hold the whip. And how do I know this? It is believed. Remember the story 40 years before? When Moses had killed an Egyptian taskmaster, the next day he goes to two Hebrews. And he tries to stop the same thing. Many of the scholars believe that it is one who is over the other. If you, don't, if you read the whole text of, of the Exodus, from all of it, you realize that there were foremen, Right? And the foremen didn't come from Egypt. They came from who? Israel. So what he's saying is you are acting like the Egyptians. You are as guilty. You don't really care. You just wish that the whip stopped whipping your back, but you don't really care about having compassion and getting rid of true oppression. And that's why he says, I need to take you out. I need to take you out, not out of this land. I need to take you out of this culture, this way of thinking. I want your heart to break for people as much as mine breaks for you. This is the essence of Passover. Actually, there are many scholars, Hebrew scholars, that say this Passover is your example as believers. You need to have the spirit of Pesach. If you do not treat people with compassion, then you are of the spirit of Egypt, of Pharaoh. You treat people just like Pharaoh does. Me, you. We need to have the spirit of Pesach. And why for? It says this in Exodus chapter 11. This one is up on the screen. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, at, mid at midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. The firstborn, of the, son, the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not even a dog will bark at a person or animal. So no threat. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction or a difference in some of your texts between Egypt and Israel. Now, the reason I underline distinction, again, I love this. The Hebrew word is pelah. And pelah 
is actually a word. Have you ever, anybody speak a different language other than English? Have you ever tried to translate a word and you're like, I can't translate it without using a lot of words? It's one word in your mother tongue, but it takes lots of words to explain it in a different language. And you're like, there's quite not the same word. This word actually means two things. It means, it's, a, it's sort of a, a justice term. It means to acquit and to condemn, depending on what side of the coin you're on. If you are the oppressor, then automatically this is condemnation to you. It's not that God is condemning you, but he's taking an action. And to free this people, it's going to end up bad for you. So it actually, in the justice world, the Hebrew justice world, it means to acquit and save, to deliver somebody. But it does mean that there is a justice that needs to happen here. And people, if you've made the wrong choice, will get hurt. And he says, I will make that distinction. But the key of that distinction is compassion. I want you to be distinct. And so he says, outwardly, here's your distinction. It says, you will put blood on your door frame, your post. I think it calls it the lintels. And, and actually, some believe it was even put on the doorstep. Now, that might not seem like much because we've grown up with this story. Okay, they put blood. It was an act. Now, do you guys remember why did Israel, because Israel did not live in Egypt, right? 400 years before, they didn't. They came over because their hero and Egypt's hero, which name was? Joseph brought them, brought them in, right? There were 70 of them, brought them in. And he says, but I need a special place, or this is sort of, we need a special place. And they were sent to, a, to the area called Goshen. But why were they to be separate? What was, why did it, according to the text, because they were what? Shepherds. And this was abhorrent. It wasn't because they were shepherds that was abhorrent. It was abhorrent that they would sacrifice sheep. That is what was bad. Sheep were sacred. You don't do this. Boom. It's not that they were taking care of sheep. Egypt would have had their own shepherds also. But that they were killing them. That's the problem. Now, do you notice at this point, does it mention that they are shepherds? Are the Israelites still primarily shepherds? No. The answer is no. They're building. They are slaves that are building up Egypt. I hope a light bulb's coming on. They are building up Egypt. They are not shepherds. Hence, they probably haven't done sacrifice in years. That is why he says we need to go out with our animals for a holiday because we need to sacrifice to the Lord. If we do it in-house, the Egyptians will be very angry. Does it, is it starting to churn and click? All of this, when you start reading it, read it differently. They probably were not sacrificing animals because it was abhorrent to the Egyptians. 
So what God says is you're going to sacrifice. But you are not just going to sacrifice, but you are going to put the blood as an outward sign that you are turning your back on the Egyptian culture. That your God is God and that he is a God of Pesach, a God of compassion. You are saying to all of Egypt, even if you are persecuted for doing it, I am standing up for compassion. And guess what? You will be persecuted if you put the blood on your doorpost. Some of you know this. Some of us try to hide that we are Israelites, that I am a believer. So we don't talk about it at work or, or we don't, we, you know, we try to keep as much, maybe amongst our friends, we sort of, you know, I, we have our church life and then we have our work life or our friend life and, and, and we sort of try to balance this out, but, but we don't want the blood on the doorpost where the people out Side, some of them hate. Maybe some of the people in here hate it. Oh, you're, you're really one of those. You're really going to make a stand for that. And he said, you have to do this. You have to outwardly do this. I know it's hard, but God is actually calling us to outwardly show our decision for Jesus Christ. And if you know what this is about, it's easier said than done. It is also believed that they were supposed to put the blood on the doorpost to say, this is no longer my house. I'm leaving. This is the last night I, I stay here. We are gone from this culture, from this land. Well, you know the story if you go to verse 29. Verse 29, it says this, of chapter 12 still. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the, uh, during the night and there was a loud wailing which many of us probably have never heard. Everybody lost a child in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and also bless me. I like that he has the audacity to say that. Please, pray for me too. The, Lord, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. Now, ironically, Pharaoh and the people are still on two different pages. Pharaoh says, go Take your flocks and go worship. Which, remember, that was the first ask. Can we have a three-day holiday where we can worship? But the people are saying, get out of this country. Get out of here forever. Just go. 
Get out of here. Pharaoh, I believe, still thought the Israelites are coming back. They're going to come back. In his craziness, there's sort of this haze over them, this daze. And, and, and I think that after they leave, you know, so this was a process. And after the morning's done, meaning morning like cry morning, not like the next morning. After this done, after the 600,000 plus, those are just the men, says women and children, probably some people estimate about 1.2 million. Could you imagine trying to get them out? 1.2 million? You know, like, have you ever seen evacuation routes that happen during a hurricane? I mean, 1.2 million, hey, let's get up and go. Oof. This was a process. Well, after the morning and the dust settles, Pharaoh says, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't have let them go. I, I don't know what he's thinking. He says, you know what? Let's go get them. And he gets his 600 best chariots, and then he gets other chariots, and he brings this army. He says, We're, we just need to go get them. And if you ever read the book, The pa uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, she says that the, they started reasoning. The Egyptians started reasoning and saying, you know, maybe all this was just a coincidence, just scientific happenings. Yeah, all those millions of locusts and the frogs and the blood in the Nile and, and the cattle dying, maybe it's just a coincidence. And just that every household had a death in one night. It could be, you know, maybe a plague that just came. It's a 24-hour plague. And they started reasoning, and they're like, okay, let's go get our guys. And so they go, and they chase them all the way down. And, and, and if you go, I'm going to skip a little bit to chapter 14. In verse 5, it says this. You can catch up. It's one page or two pages. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. He was like, what is going on? What were we thinking? Boom. So he had his chariots made ready and took the army. He took 600 of the best chariots along with other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. So I think that means sort of quickly. You know, let's get out of here. And so they go, and they chase after them. Again, what is the Pharaoh thinking? You know, I've come to the terms that people, no matter what evidence is out there, will not believe. They will not believe, even if their own child dies. They will not believe if all of these things, they will still believe it was a coincidence or some natural occurring. I just want to show you the picture. And the, spoiler alert, I don't know if you guys know this story, but they actually get through the Red Sea. 
Sorry, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead. That's a spoiler. Sorry if you haven't seen Prince of Egypt or something. They get through. But have you ever seen, it's such a bad grainy picture, I'm sorry, but I couldn't find one of real good quality. And the smaller pictures are, are better. But if you've ever seen some of the sites that are part of the Red Sea, that they believe the people actually got trapped and killed, the Egyptians, they have several of these, these things. So if you look from the top view, it's almost a perfect circle and then, which is coral. This is all coral now. And then there was a path and then another perfect circle on the bottom. And they say, this is weird, really weird in science because coral doesn't grow this way. Coral just doesn't grow up and then make perfect circles. So some scientists are saying, well, there was probably some wheels with like an axle there's a wheel, axle, wheel that just happened, and it, and it followed sort of the same path. It happened in the Red Sea. I don't know if there's a historical story that said that, but that's, it, it, somehow it happened. Yet some people still will not believe. I want you to look it up. Look up, you know, there's a thing called the Internet. You can look up stuff like this. But before we get to the Red Sea, or as they're approaching the Red Sea, and they're free, maybe their first sigh, we're all out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, and the sea faces their east. If you go to the next slide, on every direction, there is a barrier. The sea is to the east, to the west, our mountain, like a mountainous desert. To the south, there are rugged mountains. But the north, where, from the north, they see dust. I mean, you know the picture. And they realize these are the people we just left. Now, I do think even though you read the text, and, and, and we'll get to that text in a minute, I do think that the, the people that are most afraid are the Egyptians, the mixed multitude, that went with Israel. Can you imagine? You know, these are the people that were with us and now stabbed us in the back, and they went with them. I think they're super afraid. And the text says this in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were Egyptians marching after them. By the way, a thousand people on chariots go way faster than 1.2 million people on foot. So they know they have no way out. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt? So apparently, they said to him in Egypt, or that's what they claim, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. We would rather be beat down generation after generation than go out into the desert. 
It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, I love this. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I know we say amen, but I know I am guilty of not being still at times. And the, the funny thing is, is I'm not still with silly stuff. Like last night when my printer would not work. And I get myself in a, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated because my printer won't work. Or there's certain things that, that happen outside of my planning and I'm frustrated. And God is just saying, would you just please be still for a second? You know, just for a second, just reason with me. I understand why they're scared. If you don't understand why they're scared, we're looking at 2020 hindsight. I understand why they're scared. And he said, we would have rather died there. And he says, okay, just know that everything that the Lord has done so far was not so that you would die out here. He's going to do something awesome. So if you look at the text, I, 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 I want you to look here. In, in, verse, in chapter 14, he says this. Uh, verse, I, I, I want you to go to, to verse 26. Actually, I, I, I want to go a little bit before that. Let's go to 24. It says, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He made the wheels of the chariots come off so that they had dif difficulty driving and the Egyptians and said, Let's get away from the Israelites. So they finally came to hey, we're halfway in the sea. We probably should just turn back. Let's go back. The Lord is fighting for them against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over to the Egyptians, their chariots and their horsemen. But you realize, as you know, that this happens in context because the sea was split. Because if you go back, it says this in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? By the way, was Moses crying to him according to the text? No, I think we miss a dialogue here. I think there actually was a dialogue that's not part of this. And it's mentioned in Talmud and Midrash, and I'll get to that in a second. He says, tell the Israelites to move on. Why are you crying? Just go. Now, there is a, if you see this name, this name is Nachshon. Can you say Nachshon? I love the story of Nachshon. Now, you do not find this 
in the text. And I don't know if this is legend or truth. But both Midrash and Talmud tell similar stories about Nakshon throughout the ages. Nakshon is mentioned in scripture, but this story is not. Now, Nakshon, it's believed when the first command was to get in, was before God says, raise your staff. And, and you get that from the text. He says, tell him to go, go in. But let me ask you this. You are a million plus people, and you see a sea there that will drown you. Who's the first one to go in? Are you going in? I'll follow you. Come on, Elvis, you go first. I'll, I will be right behind you. Come on, Afif. You, I, I am, come on, we're right back behind each other. But nobody wanted to go. You know, first person to go, step forward. That's what happened. Except for Nakshon. As the story goes, as Nakshon says, okay, I'll go. And he steps in the water, and guess what happens? Nothing. Now, nothing. And he steps, and all the stories say, now it differs on how high it went, but some of the story says that the water, he kept going until the water was up to his nostrils, believing that the Lord would split. And Moses says, Lord, are you going to do something? And the Lord says, you've got the rod, lift it up. And he lifts it up. And Nakshon is known for his faith because the water goes. When nobody else wanted to walk in the water, Nakshon said, I will do it because I believe. The Lord is calling some of us. I believe he's calling all of us. I know not everybody will respond to be Nakshon. To move forward. To go forward. Move along. That's all God is saying is move along. But we don't have enough money for that. Move along. But there's not enough people to do this kind of... Move along. How much longer? Why are you crying to me? Move along. Just go. That is what faith is. When the Red Sea is in front of you, still move. Come on. It will split. It will. Move along. This is the call that God is asking his people here at Downers Grove. 